Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about one-handed practice with Carmen Carpenter. So today, beautiful teachers, we're joined by Carmen Carpenter, who's one of our staff writers and editors at Vibrant Music, and we're talking about one-handed practice. So Carmen, why would we want to practice with one hand? What are we really talking about here? Well, I'd, I guess practicing with one hand can be effective for some reasons, but mainly we're talking about people who have injured themselves in some way, whether it's a thumb, a pinky finger, a wrist, an arm, whatever it is. And I think those of us who teach children by and large often have kids who have broken their arm or their wrist or their pinky finger or, oh no, I hurt myself. I have a boo-boo, whatever. So I do think it's something that needs to be addressed and we need to keep it interesting for those kids because practice could become just something that does not happen. Oh, I'm hurt, therefore I won't practice. Yes, or therefore I won't have lessons. I've had parents email me like, oh, so-and-so hurt their wrist. I guess we have to put lessons on pause. And I'm like, hold on a second. That's not what we need to do. (laughs) Right. Oh, definitely. Yes, I will have that occasionally, too, where they just assume it can't happen. But that is not the case. There's plenty of learning that can be had during that season, during that healing season with just one hand, whether that's building up those skills with that hand or just keeping the learning going. There's lots of options for that. Yeah, absolutely. And the parents, by the way, if you ever get those emails and it stresses you out because you're like, oh, no, they want to put lessons on pause. They probably don't. If you just email them back and say, here are all the things we can do. It's no problem. I've dealt with this before. Always. I was going to say normally, but I've never had a parent not be relieved. They're always like, oh, great, because he's going to have to miss out on all of these other activities he normally does. So, yeah, this comes up for many reasons. I mean, we know kids hurt themselves often. If everyone watching, (laughs) listening to this episode right now was in a room, I would ask for a show of hands at how many people broke or injured one of their fingers playing basketball, because that's one of the most common. And that's one that I did myself, where the basketball lands directly on top of your fingertip, like it just whams into your finger and then you get it taped to your other fingers. Yeah. (laughs) I had that one. Yes. 
I bought that one too. <laughs> See, like I think it would be like at least twenty five percent of the room would be like, "Yep." <laughs> right. Okay, so let's talk about some of the things we can do then, Carmen. I think the most obvious option maybe is to do music that only requires one hand. Where can we find stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So if you go to your favorite vendor and put in the search music for one hand, one-handed music, left-hand music, right-hand music, you'll find stuff. Some of it, though, can be difficult. I notice when I have looked for the leveling, the leveling can be difficult, I think, where those, if it's been written specifically for one hand, a lot of times it's intermediate. And for me, anyway, most of the students who have hurt themselves are beginners and maybe late beginners. So that can be difficult. But there is music out there. I have looked on Piano Pronto. I'm pretty sure they have like, not necessarily a series, but they definitely, if you put one-handed music in there, there are some pieces written specifically for it that are interesting and fun, include duets a lot of their stuff and i'm sure those two have backing tracks so they've spent some time considering this possibility and i really like that and um also on compose create diane heidi has some pieces i love her stuff i think it's beautiful so she has a few that are great for one hand Oh, fantastic. But um, yeah, there's plenty out there, but you do have to be purposeful about how you look. And do you have to really think about that student? What is what is going to keep that student interested and engaged as well? Yes. Because you don't want to just spend all your time on technique exercise. Exactly. So not just what is going to be an appropriate reading level for them or playing Mm. level for them, but what's going to sound interesting to them because it could quickly become a little bit boring. Yeah, I think the first book Jennifer Eklund, Piano Pronto, might have published was Stage Left, if I remember correctly. And then I think she expanded that because people found it so useful. So obviously they're designed to be left-handed pieces, but they could equally be with your right hand, just sit slightly Mm -hmm. down the piano bench and practice your bass clef reading. That's what I'd say about that. Right. For some students, that is really needed. You know, there's definitely, um, especially those that play any other instruments that are treble clef oriented, their bass clef reading can really suffer. So it could be a time to really capitalize on that. Yeah, for that reason, or sometimes if they start in a method book, which is like a lot of chords in the beginning, in the left, mm. like Piano Pronto is like that, then their bass clef needs to catch up at some point. So that can be useful yep. as well. One more tip on the repertoire, I guess, is for teachers out there who are in an exam-focused country like mine or have specific pieces for whatever reason that the student has to learn or planned to learn, and then they have an injury come up so they that you can't just swap out the repertoire necessarily always. Just playing... You know, you play the right hand, they play the left hand, but they're doing both with one hand, swapping sides, can at least get them familiar with each hand separately so that you don't, you're not completely behind when they then regain 
their hand just if you need a kind of stopgap measure for those yeah exam pieces festivals competitions that kind of thing right oh that's a really i think that's a really good thought too because that process of working through that hand so say they are playing their left hand but then taking that to the treble clef and reading those notes and associating it with your left hand instead that's a really interesting process it's almost like the uh crisscross crisscrossing your body process that really helps with reading skills in general I hadn't thought of that. So you made me think of something else. Yeah, it can be good activity. It's something I find myself doing. I think that's why it occurred to me because a student will be playing a piece and some students really respond better if I don't play at a different piano or like further down the piano. If I play right beside them, they find it easier to stay in time, particularly beginners, mm-hmm. while I'm doing one hand when they do the other. So I'll end up playing the left hand part with my right hand just so that we can sit side by side and be comfortable mm-hmm. so yeah I think it's a good skill to have and it makes them think about it differently yeah. for sure right and for teachers of course that's easy but I can just oh yeah I could see some of my students little brains just blowing up <laughs> over <laughs> that concept wait what oh. <laughs> like when you have the um when they move into more intermediate music specifically and they have the two treble clefs yeah. and they're like what what why are there two cl- treble clefs there and so yes the brain blowing part of that though that's good for them yeah absolutely so not everything has to be reading though right um we could use this time oh, sure. to explore some rope pieces perhaps oh definitely and so much rote is you know, certainly it's built around using both hands and it's a great way to get them used to that early in their piano career. You know, instead of it being this big milestone, it's just what you've always done is to use both hands. So I really believe in rote for that. That said, a lot of it also can be played with one hand. I think of Thunder Showers by Polly Dreyer. That, that piece is a two-handed piece, but that right-hand melody could be played with either hand easily and still be beautiful. The teacher, again, could play the bass notes to fill it in, but but lots of them. And then I, I like to use Pogo Hop by Elvina Pierce. It's in one of her books. I can't remember which one, but it also could be a one-handed piece. You, you know, it uses two hands with a crossover, but I have lots of students that I have to like force them into crossing over. So they would love to play that piece with one. <laughs> and so there's a lot of rote music and rote music also, then you're continuing with the musicianship side that might get ignored if you're just doing, you know, reading or whatever, but it's, you can work on articulation still. You can work on dynamics and all of that good stuff while they're in that healing phase. Yeah, absolutely. And I think rope pieces as well, the one that comes to mind for me, but there are a lot like this, is um, African Dawn, which is June Armstrong. It's in her Safari book. And that one Mm -hmm. is just like a left-hand chord followed by a right hand every time it's just answering. 
And you could just jump up and down. You get really good at finding the right black keys, jumping up and down. So for a beginner, that would be great practice, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And lots of the piano safari um, rope pieces, are, like I love coffee. I think yeah. you could do the, can't they do the whole thing with one hand? I'm trying to remember if all six parts. You could, I like mean, it. part five and six, you're supposed to use two hands. You know, they use right. Right. back and forth. But obviously, mm-hmm. if we were playing that piece without knowing that it's supposed to be a beginner piece, yeah. we would use one hand to play that. So it is very possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. So there's lots. And then, yeah, Safari also, they emphasize one clef at a time for so long in book one that, yes, you can do reading as well. But we're talking about rope. Yeah, yeah, but you could do all the reading, um, pretty much. Even when it goes onto the grand staff, it's normally a melody between two hands, so you could teach it to them anyway. But yeah, I think this is a great opportunity as well to keep it from getting a little bit dry or, yeah, uninspiring, to really lean into the teacher duets and playing duets with your student. What do you think? Oh, I absolutely agree with that because, yeah, you're filling it in. You're making it interesting and fun with the teacher duets. But then you're also forcing the steady beat a little bit, which, you know, I don't know about you, but many of my students still struggle with steady beat at level. And so, yeah, the teacher duets really help with that. But they also, yes, will make it sound interesting and fun and some, like we, we were talking about Piano Pronto, so good about having backing tracks for all of their songs. But I know for myself, and I bet a lot of other people have done this too, I've made recordings of the teacher duets that I share with my students so they can do it at home too and play that way and keep things a little bit more, you know, motivating. Yeah, absolutely. Quick little tip that may be obvious to many, but just in case people don't think of it, when you, if you're going to record the teacher duet parts, you need some kind of an intro or count in every time. Yeah. So for pieces that just start right away together, either you count out loud in, or sometimes I'll play yeah. the tonic four times or three times, whatever, to count in, yeah. you know, just something. Maybe. Just because it's so frustrating yeah. when you record it and they're like, wait, they can't actually, this is just a demonstration, they can't join in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I use GarageBand and I do that too. I create a little, I just make a clapping sound yeah. with my piano since it's already hooked into the computer and all of that. And I just, yeah, do a count off with a clap kind of sound. So yeah, it's a very good point. Thank you for reminding us of that. Cause yeah, and I have, I've done just what you said. I've recorded it and then went, oh, How do they know when to come in or what the beat actually is? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great way to to round things out and to add some variety. I also think we're talking about repertoire, but this is a great opportunity to do other things. What kind of other things could we emphasize in the lesson outside of the music, Carmen? Any thoughts? Oh, yeah. So... This is a good time to do some of those things you might not always get time for, right? Whether that's music history or 
creating composition, improvisation, all of those things are good. And of course, I think all of us have those things that we emphasize or don't during our lessons. And so maybe if you're a person who doesn't usually do soulfish singing, maybe you do more of that. Or if you don't usually do a theory workbook, maybe you do some of that. I know we're talking a lot about Piano Safari. They have a fairly new book, a composition book that I've been using with one of my students lately. I think that would be great. And then during the composition parts of it, if, if needed, the student is not recovering from an injury, but if needed, the composition parts could be for that one hand. And that could just make it an interesting challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's a great book. I've been checking it out. I haven't used it with a student yet. I think maybe more on the slightly older side, I'd say like old yeah. over 10, the youngest. Mm -hmm. What would you think? Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. The one I'm using it with right now is in ninth grade here in the States. So she's 15. Yeah. So she is a little older, but yeah, above 10. I think that a motivated 12 13 could definitely do that book. It kind of depends on their a little bit because they kind of take a piece, they play the piece, and then they compose with the piece in that style. Yeah. So they would have to have that level of ability, maybe about mm -hmm. late level two, early three. Yeah, something like that. Them. And I think the yeah, other factor it, there is like their investment because there's a lot of great tips in that book that are like, you know, about using sequences and simple techniques like that. Mm -hmm. But you need right. students to be mature enough that they want it to sound good. I know that sounds a bit silly, but some yeah. students, when you're composing, they really are just doing whatever. <laughs> so you have, to have a student who really wants to compose and like is invested in making it. Yeah. But I think if yes. you do, oh, yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Yes. And I would definitely have to say that this student that I'm using it with has an affinity for composition already. So, so yeah, that may be very limited to just a small section of your students. But hey, now you know it's out there. No, yeah, and I think it's a fantastic resource. I didn't mean to talk it down at all. I'm just maybe keeping in mind that teachers who haven't taught composing might yeah. dive into it and be like, oh, well, this isn't going well at all. If right. they have a student, oh. if they're trying to use it with like every student. Um, so in that oh, case, yeah. I think you could explore the composing projects in the VMT library. And then they're more like right. anyone can do this. Just follow the formula. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you feel like you needed that kind of outside help with composition, I really like your um, micro composition books that center around the colors those those are great and those i think could really lend themselves to some good stuff and could be for everybody like they're kind of leveled out naturally right you have well you have a level one two three to them right and so depending i mean because some of them are like just rhythms and all they have to do is write in finger numbers or note names or then it moves up to the ground staff and stuff. So it could, yeah, those would work great, I think. Yeah. I think you can have a really good mix of stuff when students have injured a hand. We've mentioned a lot of things, 
The thing I would add mm-hmm. to this is maybe predictable, but it's to have plenty of game time with these students. Yeah. Not just because now is the time you have to do it, right? Because we're always running out of time mm-hmm. or teachers tell me they run out of time for games. And I totally understand that. It's time you have to do it where they can do it equally as well as before. I mean, there are very, very mm-hmm. few games that actually require two hands in any way. So right. they're going to be able to do it. And also, mm-hmm. you're making their lessons more fun when I would say a lot mm-hmm. of their activities, when they've heard a hand, especially if it's their dominant hand, are less fun, Mm. right? Right. During that time, like doing schoolwork is harder and really annoying because you're trying to write with your other hand or type or something. And yeah, a lot of what they're doing is kind of cut off, like they can't do Mm. a lot of their sports. So their music lesson could be the one that's even more fun because you get extra game time to make up for your injured hand. So. Oh, yeah, that that is such a great point. And, you know, I learned something recently, too. I don't loan out my games. I know a lot of people do, but I did not know this. And I just learned this recently that the screen versions of the games from the VNT library, you can make available for students to use at home, which I didn't really ever think about that and so if you're a person who doesn't want to lend them out you can't you can assign them that could be on their assignment sheet play this game this week and that counts as practice for you and you know i think that they would probably love that you know that little break yeah absolutely Okay, I think this is a great discussion and lots of options for teachers to refer back to. So I suggest that everyone listening bookmarks this or saves it somewhere for the next time this happens to you, because it's not an if, really. It's a when. Are you going to get that call that says, oh, so-and-so is in the ER or the A&E or whatever you call it. Like, they've just... Turns out their wrist is in fact broken. They're going to be in a sling, etc. So I hope you'll refer mm-hmm. back to it. And thank you, Carmen, for sharing all these ideas with us. All right. Thanks for having me. So we would love to hear about what you do when students injure a hand. Is anything that we haven't covered in here? Come chat to us over on Instagram. We're at Colorful Keys over there. And I'll see you back here next week. like this episode you would absolutely love Viper Music Teaching membership. We have the support and the training you need to take your teaching further. Join us today by going to vmt.ninja and signing up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it, and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July, and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.